0: Grace and peace to you all and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: Remember Jesus said if if my if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you don't just hear it and acknowledge it or even pass it on, but it takes root. It takes up residence within you. You are a perm in permanent possession of God's word, of God's truth. And by the way, when that's the case, you'll always hunger for more.
0: Today's sermon is part one of a three-part message entitled The Lamp, The Seeds, and The Storms. In today's broadcast, Pastor Sam begins us in Mark four, verse 21, where Jesus is instructing us what we are to do with the light.
1: Mark four, 21 through 41, the lamp, the seeds, and the storms. Last time we focused on The parable of the sower and the seeds and the soils and and we saw that that God's word is always good seed and the condition of the hearts of those it is being sown in planted in that heart will determine its ultimate impact and effectiveness. We looked at the careless heart, the carefree heart and the careful heart, redefining careful because we think of that as, you know, cautious. No, it was careful, full of the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. And we saw in all three cases, the seed fails to take root. In fact, those three hearts, the careless, the carefree and the careful, they actually aid the enemies of our soul the world, the flesh, and the devil from, from you know, letting God have his way. As well. Satan steals and the world stumbles and the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches can strangle the good seed. Then we concluded seeing that clean, cultivated heart receives the good seed, bears a harvest of good fruit. For the Lord who sent it. Now, Jesus kind of shifts gears. He goes from talking about seeds and soils to lights, lamps, if you will. In Psalm 119, listen carefully to it. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A lamp unto my feet. God's word shows me where I'm standing and what I'm standing on. Am I on the solid ground of his word? Or am I in the sandy ground that's going to just move away under me in the times of storms and trials? For those storms, as we'll see late in our study, will always come. A lamp unto my feet, showing me where I'm standing, and a light unto my path, lighting the path ahead. The Lord says, this is the way to walk. Walk in it. But he doesn't just point us to it. He lights it through his word. And walks before us on it. Well, we looked at those three dangers then that the good seed could be stolen, that it could burn up or be choked out, but we never dealt with the fourth danger, and today it might be the greatest danger. And that is that the good seed of the Word of God might not be sown at all. We saw that sowing seed literally meant throwing seed. So in that day, the guy who was planting the the, uh, field would simply walk on that beaten path, throwing seed to the right and the left. And and here's the thing. We don't even have to worry about Satan or the world or, or our own flesh if no seed is ever sown. There will be no harvest unless the word of God is actually shared. So Jesus goes on here in verse 21 also, he said to them, is a, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? Now, the lamp he's talking about it isn't a candle. Some of the translations translate it that way. They thought it would be helpful. It's not. Because it's not a lamp as we would imagine it. You know, it's pre-electricity back there in the first century and it's not a candle. What it was is just a little um, cup looking structure with a a hole in it Um, and and there would be oil that could be poured in and a wick would uh, be within it. So, so that's what it's talking about. And, and he speaks really of two places. He says you don't want to bring a lamp uh, on the job site and put it under a bushel. The bushel speaks of work because that's what bushels did. They, they gathered and uh, held the crops or whatever it was you might be dealing with. So you don't want to put it under the basket or under the bushel. That means you don't want to hide your light at work. And then at home, it says no one lights a uh, you know, a, a, a lamp and, and puts it under the bed. That sounds dumber than it is. Not that Jesus sounded dumb, but, but the idea of putting a lamp under your bed, a lit, a lit fire at this point, it sounds completely bizarre because if you want to go to sleep, the last thing you need is fire under the bed. But it's not actually talking about the bed you sleep on. It's talking about the one you would recline at. It was called a couch or we might call it a divan or divan or, or, you know, they reclined at the table. And he's saying you put the light on the table so that you can see one another for the very purpose of light is to illuminate the things around it, not to draw attention to itself. But to show you who you're with and to show you what you're eating so you don't put it under you because that would defeat the purpose of having it in the first place. Now, Jesus said, and most of you are well aware, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Later, he does something he does again and again and again. He transfers to his followers what he in that point or at that point was. He says, I am the light. Now he says, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That city set on a hill. By the way, he's saying, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you live, wherever you fellowship here and anywhere else, wherever you shop, You are a light in that place, the light of the world. You are light of the world. City set on a hill cannot be hidden. Then he says, and it's a little bit of a a paradox. Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Why is that a problem or a paradox? Because earlier he said, don't do your good works to be seen of men. Now he's saying, Let your light so shine before men they'll see your good works. And here's the key and glorify your Father in heaven. When Jesus worked mightily and wondrously, as we've seen he has, and we'll see it again in the next chapter, when those things happened, they were marveling and glorifying God in heaven. Jesus came to glorify the Father. So the key in good works. Is to be one who does them, but not so people will notice us or pay attention to us or give glory to us or think more highly of us. It's not about us. We're doing it to please him and to bless them. So he should get all the glory. Well, for there is nothing hidden. He goes on to say, verse 22, which will not be revealed, nor has anything be kept secret that it should come, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, then he said to them, uh, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. Why does he say that? Because there are truths and there are lies. Truth comes from God. Lies come from the enemy of the Lord. When we went through the Proverbs, we saw that God's word is filled with God's wisdom. But the wisdom of the world, that's found everywhere else. And he says the wisdom of the world, foolishness with God, the wisdom of God necessary for us. So he's saying whatever seems to be, whatever might possibly be, well, it's going to be exposed for what it really is. And it's interesting, he multiplies this idea Here he says, be careful what you hear. Make sure you're hearing the truth, believing the truth, absorbing the truth, holding on to the truth. Because, well, as we saw in the parable uh, last time, the the enemy comes to steal the truth. He does it by lying. He does it by accusing. He does it by, by, um, you know, tempting. He does it by questioning and then denying God's word, as we saw in our last study, so be careful what you hear. Luke eight eighteen says, "Be careful how you hear, in what manner or means." It's important if we're casual and careless in our reading or in our listening to God's word. Well, it will kind of just come and go. You, you know the 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 phrase or the saying, "In one ear and out the other." He's saying, make sure that never happens. With the word reminded me, I don't know why, of a Twilight Zone episode where this little thing got in a guy's ear and came out the other side. And that was all good, except for it laid eggs. I don't know why I share that with you, (laughs) but um, maybe there's something there. I mean, if we think about it, if God's word goes in and it actually, you know, saturates, lays some eggs in there, if you will, then there'll be some life as a result. Well, bad illustration, but possibly some rescue of it, you decide. Uh, be careful what you hear. Be careful how you hear. And then Jesus really exhorts us elsewhere to be careful who you hear. Be careful. When you're reading the scripture, it's important to ask these questions. Who is the one speaking? Who is the one receiving? When, when Jesus Uh, addresses the whole temptation issue, you know, and we saw it. He said, it is written. So Satan tempts Jesus and he says, that's not going to happen because here's what the word of God says. When Satan tempted Eve, God had said, if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. Satan says, you're not going to die. And so it's important to know who's speaking and in what context. So, So the reason I share this is because the Bible is full of truth, but there are also lies in the Bible. Once I was in a conversation with somebody who was trying to say the Bible's not true, and I, I mentioned he said, You know, the Bible's just made up. I said, No, it's not. all well, just written by men. I said, No, that's not true. And he said, Well, there are lies in the Bible. I said, Absolutely right. And he's like, What? You you acknowledge there's lies in the Bible like he thought he got me or something. And I'm like, yeah, the Bible's full of lies. In fact, listen, Jesus said, unless you be born again, you will die in your sin. Jesus told Eve, if you eat of that fruit, you will die. And Satan said, you're not going to die. That's the lie he told her. That's the lie he's telling you. Because there are lies in the Bible. And sadly, you're believing the lies. So the, the point here is we need to know What's being said, we need to be careful what we hear, how we hear and who we hear. Then he says in the latter part of verse 24, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you and to you who hear more will be given for whoever has to him more will be given. And then this is another of those phrases that sounds a little confusing. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from here him so um, has here in, in verse 25 whoever has means to possess remember Jesus said if if my if you abide in me and my word abides in you you don't just hear it and acknowledge it or even pass it on but it takes root it takes up residence within you you are a perm, in permanent possession of God's word of God's truth And by the way, when that's the case, you'll always hunger for more. It's one test. And then he says, whoever does not have even what he has, it's the one who's heard the word, who says he believes or she says she believes, maybe even shares the word with someone else. But in their heart of hearts, they don't really believe. They've never really received. It hasn't taken root. And so when he says, whoever does not have, Even what he has, and means seems to possess, because lots of people have some knowledge of the scripture, but it isn't how much you know, it's how much it has impacted you and transformed you. He says, The one who seems to possess, well, what he has or seems to, will ultimately be taken away from him. Now he moves from the lamp back to the seed and he gives us two parables related to the seeds. He said, verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow and he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself First the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. First phrase after he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. He's trying to explain something that's beyond our comprehension, but using something everyone in that day could observe and would understand. It's like someone scattering seed on the ground. And when it says he sleeps and rises by day and the seed sprouts, he's not saying it happens overnight. It's really saying he sleeps and he rises and he sleeps and he rises and he sleeps and he rises. But each day he goes out and one day the, the, the seed has sprouted and, and then the next day it's growing. And it says he doesn't even know how. Now, we know a lot more today than they knew in that day as to the processes. But it hasn't changed the fact that it happens without any human intervention. In fact, in this parable, there's one, the, the, the sower sows the seed, he plants the seed, and then he harvests the crop. Everything in between, that's just the Lord. The Lord takes care of the rest. Now, the, um, Progress in areas like irrigation, and we've made great progress in those kind of areas, obscures what was once so obvious, uh, at least in that day, because you would have planted and you would have prayed and you would have waited for the rain to come because you needed rain to germinate the seed. You didn't have a way to go out and water the field. And so uh, unless you were doing a small garden, which we've all done, there are a lot of ways to do that. But we're talking massive fields with lots of grain. They were absolutely reliant on God and they knew it. Now, not everyone prayed, but here's the good news. That God is so good that his rain falls on the just and the unjust, on the grateful and the ungrateful, on the one who prays and on the one who doesn't even know there's anyone to pray to. What's the difference at the time of harvest? We give God the glory. We know it was his work. They're kind of like oblivious, but they're still thankful. They just don't know who to be thankful to. So they thank Mother Earth or they just thank their own ingenuity or look how well that worked out. I planted right before the rain. What a coincidence. So uh, it's a good picture for us because it's not just talking again about planting a field. It's talking about planting God's word. And the same reality takes place. I get to tell you Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again. And I know most of you are like, we've heard that. This is one of those, if I've heard it you know, once, I've heard it a thousand times. And if you've come for the last 35 years, 10,000 times. But, but here's the important thing, is that, that as the word of God is sown, I've done my part. And then I can just trust the Lord. He's going to water that. He's going to cause it to germinate. He's going to cause it to sprout up and grow. He's going to bring a harvest of righteousness. So two things happen at every service. I always share that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again because that's the gospel seed, you see. And I always at the end of the service give opportunity for any and all who haven't given their life to the Lord to do just that. Why? That's the harvesting part. And those are the only two parts I'm really uh, have have any say in. Now, in between those two things, I read you the word. Why? Because once you're born again, you need fuel. You need food. And the word of God, it's seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So the man goes, he plants. Later, he harvests, but harvest is. Later, he takes place. He goes out and harvest. Well, I I guess I had it right the first time, Uh, but... Anyway, the seed in the soil, by the way, gifts from God. The sunshine that that causes the process to work, puts energy into it, if you will, warms the ground and makes that whole thing happen. Uh, Those are gifts from God, too. So you got the seed, you have the soil, you have the rain, you have the sun, all of that provided by God. So even the part that we participate in. We have to have what he provides for it to work. We read it, verse 28. Take a look at it though, because two words jump out and I'll show you why. For the earth yields crops by itself. Those are the two words. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So here's what we see happening. That the words by itself come from a Greek word, which is automatos. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Even though it's all Greek to us. Automatos. It sounds a little bit like automatic. And that's because that's where we get our word automatic. That's where we get the concept of automation and what we have in the germination, in the planting of the seed and, and then everything that happens until the harvest. It's, it's a picture of God's automation, if you will. It looks automatic because he's built into the seed and the sun and the soil and the rain, the whole process. We don't have to do anything but watch and wait and God's word will accomplish its perfect will. So um, th- those words again by itself, um, it means without visible cause. Without human agency, without human intervention, it's God's revelation, again, of his automation in every seed, including the gospel. Most of you are familiar with the water cycle in its simplest form. There are three stages. The, um, the seas, which cover most of the earth and, uh, and contain 96.5% um, percent of all the earth's water um, you know salt water God has built the process in there where well the, the water evaporates as the sun provides energy and heat it turns into a vapor and we see it in the form of clouds passing by and then there's condensation the second part as the water vapor cools that gas cools and it condenses into water that then returns to the earth as precipitation that's uh water rain snow sleet and such and and, uh, and so as it falls to the earth some of it falls here in the valley some of it gets up to the mountains where the higher up it gets the more rain falls or snow falls and it, it It creates the snowpack, it fills the streams, it fills the lakes, it fills the rivers, the streams run into the rivers, the rivers run into one another and ultimately all of them lead back to the ocean where the whole process begins again. Now there's something else that takes place there that might not be as obvious, although you're certainly aware of it, just might not have thought about it. And that is God has built into that process desalination. In other words, the salt water, which is undrinkable for us, it's taken up into the air. And I don't know where that process takes part in all this. But what falls is good, clean drinking water. That couldn't just be, wow, nature's so amazing. Mother Earth, look what she does. No, God has automated the process to turn the seas, which are undrinkable, into water that is drinkable. And the waterfalls everywhere. I read recently, just a week or two ago, that Israel is giving technology to Iran because Iran is experiencing serious drought. That technology is desalination. And it cost millions and, well, billions to build those plants and make all that happen. They're giving the technology away. Why? Because they just want to bless those people who hate them and and do good to those who curse them. And I'm thinking, wow, that kind of sounds like Jesus. And and I'm intrigued by this, though. While they're spending Boku bucks to make that happen, God provides it for free. We don't have to do anything to get fresh drinking water except not pollute the fresh drinking water, which we seem to be pretty good at.
0: It is so easy to get caught up in the trials of this life, so caught up that we neglect to sow the seeds that we have been given to plant. We can neglect to do the very thing we are here in this world to do. Now, there's a wonderful scripture in Psalm 126 that I hope gives you the same comfort that it is giving me as I work with a very heavy heart on this broadcast tonight. It says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.